Bretto, can you believe it? The Wellness Summit is almost here. Oh, I'm P. I'm so excited. I don't know what to do with myself. Well, Bretto, it's been two long years since our last Wellness Summit. And if you're listening to this, folks, and don't have a ticket, then... What are you doing? The Wellness Couch family of podcasters gather for two days in Melbourne on Saturday, August 25 and 26, featuring... The Queen of Nutrition, Cindy O'Meara. The rock star of wellness, Dr. Damien Christoph. Connect with your spirit and soul with Barley Bomb survivor, Karen Smith. Self-care is on the menu with Kim Morrison. Master the art of ageing well with the one and only, Marcus Pierce. Oh, shucks, Bretto. What about how to recover from rock bottom with Dr. Brett Hill? Master your stress with Dr. Maria Zushman. Get empowered with Imogen Bailey. Female health experts, Dr. Andrea Huddleston and Ashley Bond. Master your sleep with Audra Starkey. The natural nutritionist, Steph Lowe. Australian Idol winner, Wes Carr. Woohoo! And Quirky Cooking's Joe Witten and Fuad Kassab and a whole lot more. Oh, what a lineup, MP. Seriously, why would you not be coming to the Wellness Summit? Not to mention our world-class exhibition of Australia's most incredible, sustainable wellness products and services. MP, we've done the final layout. There are less than 100 spaces left. And there's only a few discounted tickets available at thewellnesssummit.com. Marcus, be there or be square. Zazen Alkaline Water presents the 2018 Wellness Summit, Saturday, August 25 and 26 at the Collingwood Town Hall. Getting quick, folks. The final release of discounted tickets available at thewellnesssummit.com. See you there, Bretto. Welcome to Best Me Radio. I'm your host, Carl Hammington, and I talk to experts in many areas, including movement, psychology, nutrition, as well as other inspiring people who have done extraordinary things, all in an attempt to provide you with the information, inspiration, and tools that will empower you to step into the best version of yourself. Hello, and welcome to Season 2 of Best Me Radio. I know it's been a long break in between seasons, but I just wanted to take some time to slightly change the format and create something special for you all. You will notice some changes to the format today and moving forward, and we have some really exciting guests coming up, covering subjects from circadian rhythms to gut neuroscience and even personalized mindfulness and meditation prescription. We also hear from some people walking the talk. For example, my good friend and client David, who is 86 going on 87 and can deadlift over 90 kilos, sit in a flat foot deep squat position for as long as needed, is on the verge of completing his first adult chin up, um, and he has reversed some cardiac issues. So we learn practically what he's done to get there. It's really fascinating. We also have our first episode coming up, which is a super episode, and we're hitting the first one as gut health from three completely different angles, just to try and get a really holistic and integrated approach to that subject. But today, we're talking to a guest who is funny, energetic, super intelligent, and he has the same fascination for longevity as I do. He has also been to live within one of the blue zones, which is Ikaria, on several occasions. And he's interviewed multiple centurions in the attempt to delineate what the key factors are in living a long life, and as well as living a great long life. Please enjoy. 
Hello, Marcus Pierce here. Uh, I'm CEO of the Wellness Couch Podcast Network, which the great Carl Hamilton is a part of, uh, founder of the Exceptional Life Blueprint, which really was a, um, a combination of years of research and then uh, four or five years of doing the 100 Not Out podcast with Damien Christoph, which uh, I still do. And it was just a matter of sensing um, a pattern amongst people that lived a great long life. And so a big part of my, I suppose, my life is sharing the, the message of what it takes to live an exceptional life. Um, do that through the podcast, do that through live events, through uh, retreats around the world, um, and really just, I really enjoy sharing the message, particularly with people in person. I love the podcasts, but there's no doubt that my greatest fulfillment is um, is bringing the podcast to life, Carl. So look Beautiful. forward to sharing the message with people today and then ideally down the track, meeting your listeners in the flesh. Yep, and that's uh, all part of the plan. So thank you for that uh, lovely self-intro there, Marcus. <laughs> um, no worries. So I'm really excited about this because this runs you know, congruent with you know the whole best me philosophy. So um, you explained sort of what you do, but I'm really intrigued and I, like, I think the listeners will really be intrigued too about how you actually got to this point. What got you interested in living a great life and um, also living a... Um, a, a better, a better version of yourself, like your best, your yeah, best self. The best, my best me. Um, That's the one. Uh, pardon the pun, but you know, <laughs> I, I do think about this a lot, and I think it's a really good idea for all everyone listening to really think about your life and particularly your past and attempt to join the dots. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Malcolm Gladwell's work, yep. Carl, but he yep. wrote, uh, yeah, the Tipping Point Outliers. Right. I love how Gladwell, he loves joining the dots. Um, and for our podcast listeners, I must say, one of, if not my favorite podcast in the whole world is Malcolm Gladwell's podcast, Revisionist History. Mm-hmm. But joining the dots of your life, I think, is really important. So if you ask me when did I really or how did this all come about, I actually think I have my mum to thank because my mum and dad split up when I was 10. Uh, I often tell the story that my mum went from a Mercedes-Benz to a Ford Falcon or a Daewoo like overnight. Um, my mum grew up in a multi-millionaire family, a filthy rich, one of 15 kids. My grandfather in, uh, wow. essentially brought hosiery to Australia um, from Europe, like stockings and pantyhose oh, wow. and all the rest of it. So my mum grew up just around money, probably had no concept of how it came about. Yeah. I'm putting words into my mum's mouth there, but... When mum and dad split up, uh, my dad ran a really successful news agency business and then my mum had to, I, and again, I'm looking from the outside in here, but she had to learn about almost like how to live and particularly how to live independently. Mm. Uh, she was raising three children. She had essentially like, you know, $7 in the bank type thing. But she had one of those moments where she saw Tony Robbins at 3 o'clock in the morning yeah. on TV, like she couldn't get to sleep, probably stressing out about her life and where she was heading and all the rest of it. And then so my mum got into Tony Robbins and I remember she went from listening to talkback radio to listening to Tony Robbins cassettes in the mm. Ford Falcon or the Daewoo, depending <laughs> on where we were at at the time. And um, and then for my 21st birthday, which, which again, would have been at a time when mum wouldn't have been flush with cash, she gave me uh, the Tony Robbins CD set to bring all of our listeners up to scratch with when this was back in the <laughs> 90s. Um, um, on a not, 2002, not, not cassette, 2002. It was definitely... <laughs> now it was 2002, I was 21, yep. I was born in 81, so 2002, my mum gave me Get the Edge by Tony Robbins mm. and that probably really, uh, like I've read some personal growth books but that program probably really started to get, you know, really get the juices flowing um, but at the time, I still remember, you know, I'm a journalist by profession so I was working in the sports media, I loved it but I was that work hard, play hard, you know, early 20s 
journalist. I smoked. Uh, <laughs> I, I rationalized it as a three cigarette a day smoking habit, but yeah. really it was you know a pack of a pack of a pack every Saturday night, maybe a pack every Friday night, and then if it was uni <laughs> night, probably a pack on Thursday night, and then maybe three cigarettes between. 9 a.m. and 5 p.m., some ridiculous rationalization. Um, so I always skip past the health sections of, say, the Tony Robbins programs or any other program I was doing. I'd learn about my emotional health and I'd learn about relationships and I'd learn about principles of financials. But when he got talking about alkalizing and energizing and reducing sugar and understanding good fats and bad fats and proteins and carbs, I was like, oh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I just I carried on. And then... um. And then I met my now wife, Sarah, who, who's a health professional chiropractor. And, um, you know, she's the ultimate, you know, health junkie. And here I was smoking and, you know, heavily drinking <laughs> on weekends. And she's there, you know, you know, all about whole body, holistic health, organic foods and superfoods and whole foods. And I was like, what food? <laughs> and so that was just like, you know, that was a real, um, let's say, player. opposites attract. And she <laughs> filled in all of my voids. And I would like to say I filled in all of hers as well. But, um but that really kind of rounded rounded me off in you know without sounding all Jerry Maguire like but she definitely did complete me in terms oh. of adding the void of the health side of, of personal growth and so mm. um, that kind of really brought I got I really got bitten by the health bug went hardcore vegan cut out grog for five years um, some of it I laugh and think I was utterly stupid and ridiculous <laughs> and I'd go to the pub with mates and have hot chips and salad thinking I was being healthy um, you know and then I wasn't having any grog thinking I was like the holy enlightened one um, thinking that you know anyone that was vegan and went without grog was like just so smart and now I, again to all of those vegans that don't drink grog I love you but I don't think it's the secret to living a great long life um, and then um, and then I think we went Sarah and I went to a demartini and I'm giving you the long answer here but Sarah and I this went to great. a demartini John demartini event um prophecy i think it's a seven day event and and that really probably really was the end of the vegan alcohol no actually i realized my dad was in i was in bali my dad was about to propose to his now wife and and i was like i just want to celebrate with my dad and have a beer I just want to have a beer. It's like, I've been saying for years, oh, I don't drink, I don't drink. I was like, I just want to have a beer. I'm not going to get drunk. I just want one beer with <laughs> yeah. my dad to say, yep. Dad, well done. And that, I think, started to go, well, what if what if I don't have to be so absolute in like my labels around my identity? Mm. Um, yep. So that sowed seeds. And, yeah, Sarah and I did some Demartini events together, and that sowed further seeds. Um, I also, in that time, read a book by John Robbins called Healthy at 100, John Robbins was the heir to the throne of the Baskin Robbins Ice Cream Corporation. He grew up on uh, ice cream for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, uh, like God's honest truth. He grew up uh, swimming in an ice cream-shaped swimming pool. Um, his <laughs> uncle, Bert Baskin, died, I think, of a heart attack. His dad, Irv Robbins, had heart disease. He realized that ice cream and being the heir to the throne of that billion-dollar empire was not his last purpose, so he left the family became a vegan and, 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 and meditated and taught yoga and eventually became a, a best-selling author. But mm. in this book, Healthy at 100, he referred to a study, and I still remember it to the day, he referred to a study on the second page of the introduction. It was by the Yale School of Public Health. It was done over 20 years to over 600 people, and they asked him questions such as, as you age, you become less useful, agree or disagree. As you age, you become more of a burden. 
agree or disagree. Mm. As you age, you realize your best years are behind you, agree or disagree. And what they found was that the people that agreed with these statements that you become more of a burden, you become less useful, you become, um, you, you realize your best years are behind you, that belief mm. caused people to die seven and a half years earlier than the people that had an empowering view of their age. Wow. And that blew my mind because up until that point, I was like, well, if you're vegan and you don't drink, drink grog, you'll live to 100. And yeah. so my confirmation bias was looking for all of these, you know, uh, people that were living long lives and, and were vegan. And I was looking at, you know, Leonardo da Vinci and Pythagoras and even Einstein. And I was going to make a documentary about being vegan and vegetarian and all of this stuff. <laughs> I was so into it. But then I was like, well, hold on a minute. Like, again, my journalistic mind was like, what if I'm like so completely wrong? I mean, mm. what if it is just the power of a belief? And then, and I'm sure you would see this. I, I went to then listen to all of Sarah's clients, her chiropractic clients, and I wanted to hear their talk, their self-talk, and they were like, I, I can't get better because I'm too old. I can't travel because I'm too old. I can't go on that diet because I'm too old. I can't do those exercises because I'm too old. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. They're writing a script that yeah. their age is Victim like mentality. Everything. Yeah. Oh, my Gosh, so then that got me on, that really got me going. And then so I essentially decided I was going to dedicate my life to helping people um, realize that, that they did not have to live their life thinking that as they, mm. that they, as they got older, their mm. life became more mediocre. And, um, and then I've been on the warpath ever since and it's, it's morphed Beautiful. into podcasts, events, retreats and, and the rest. And so, um, yeah, that is the very long answer yeah, for you. It is fantastic. It started off so romantic as well. So. <laughs> it's still romantic. Don't worry. It's still romantic. Uh, it's interesting. What you said about the belief is fascinating because there's been some research to back up um, that in, in the stress realm as well. So it's not necessarily the, the stress that has the negative effect on your health. It's how you perceive that stress to influence you. That's the most important factor. So that was a nice that's little so true. And there. the people that have had the most stressful lives and – um, you know, you know, I was talking about 100 not out earlier. You may have heard some of the interviews with Holocaust survivors, mm. war survivors. They have lived the most stressful lives, yeah. and they've been aging gracefully, yeah. as you say, because they have defined stress or their events of their life a whole lot differently to other people that have gone through exactly the same scenario. Yeah, beautiful. Now, um, I'm interested to see how. Um, your idea of best self or living your best life uh, may have changed or evolved. Um, throughout this process so you know in your your pre-vegan days you know what your best life would have felt or looked like uh, during your vegan days and then uh, where you're at now I'd be interested to contrast or, or, or oh it's a great question I've never been never been asked that before <laughs> um, it is a great good, question good. I definitely think pre pre-vegan days I almost say almost like pre-Sarah before I truly fell in love yep. I was very self-absorbed very I'm oldest child Leo so for <laughs> anyone that understands family dynamics or yeah. star science you get an idea of my personality but very self-absorbed my way or the highway uh, um, I have a great level of confidence in my own ability or beliefs but I think in my younger days it was almost um, it was wildly selfish and and what's the word stubborn and what's the word like i wouldn't i really had trouble listening to other people's yeah. points of view or if i did i probably thought that they were wrong before they even started yeah. talking yeah. makes sense yeah which i must thank Bit my mom for, she's definitely <laughs> definitely the the one that she's you know when mom has a view you're never going to change your mind yeah but i do think um so that was probably me to a T. I always loved what I did. I knew from a very early day, very early age when I realized I was never going to play AFL football that I would love to commentate or cover it. Um, so 
I was very determined to do what I love. Um, so some people would say in media land that I achieved quote unquote success at an early age, but for me it was it was a script that I'd written since I was probably about ten. Uh-huh. Um, and then when I met Sarah, it really became about being more um, probably more compassionate. I would yeah. say because Sarah's you would say a sensitive feminine energy really prides herself on on uh, being heard and letting others be heard and that's been a really good let's say a maturing for me in terms of just yep just no one's wrong there, no mm. one is wrong um even just different maps of the world it's rife, rife with that diet's wrong and this diet's wrong. There is no one wrong because my view is you look at the oldest people ever to live. They're all on different diets. They've all mm-hmm. had different events in their life. There have been people that have lost their, their their parents or their partners or their children 60 years ago and still lived great long lives. So there's no, there's no true template. So yeah. there's no right way. Yeah. Um, there's no right belief. There's just the belief that, that we associate with. So... I would definitely say Sarah has been great personal growth for me on that front. In terms of my best self has really been, and now I think people would would say that I am a great listener. Not always, we're all we're not always, but I do yeah. pride myself on on um, listening a whole lot more than I used to. I do think there's a great book, Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. I would probably say has been a big influence on improving that skill because mm. listening is not a skill that we get taught growing up or at school. We get taught how to read, write, speak, but not how to listen. Yeah. which is probably in many ways point. the most powerful form of communication. Mm-hmm. Um, so that has to be self, self-taught, self you know, or, or, or learnt from from mentors. Um, yeah. So then the vegan days were definitely righteous, highly <laughs> self-righteous, but in a, in a different way. I don't think I was one of those yelling and screaming vegans <laughs> um, because I remember I got to the point where I was like, if someone said, why are you vegan? I was like, do you really want to have the conversation? Like no one's going – I'm not going to agree with you. You're not going to agree with me. So, like, can't we just be friends and not talk about it? I'll eat my mung beans. You have your your hot chips or whatever it is. You have your fried chicken. Yeah. And away we go. I'll think you're wrong. You'll think I'm wrong. And let's be friends. Yeah. yeah. Um. You know. So at least you had that ability. That's great. <laughs> well, because you you see, particularly, I see the stress that people go through, and I see it ripping families and friendships apart. Mm. Who cares what everyone eats? Yeah. You know, there's a. We have teammates, Carl on the wellness couch, the up for a chat girl, Cindy O'Meara, Kim Morrison, your fellow Kiwi, and Karen yes. Smith. Now, Cindy's a full-blown carnivore. Karen <laughs> Smith, full-blown vegan that wouldn't touch an egg. She'd vomit or dry reach even just if she heard us talking about eggs. <laughs> and Kim Morrison gags at the sight of red meat. You know, oh, she'll wow. have white meat but not red meat. So they're, they're all very different but they're, they're three best friends. Oh. And I really feel like they are just the epitome of what it's meant to be about. Like, well, that's, that's wisdom, isn't it? You know, like the ability to accept others and, yeah. And why can't we put the, the, the lamb at the table, the chicken at the table and the tofu at the table and a whole bunch of salad mm. and not make comments on everyone's plate? Can't we all just go, everyone just choose what they want, which yep. is why I love these longevity cultures, whether it's Okinawa or Ikaria or Sardinia or, um, you know, Costa Rica or even the, the Californians, some of them, and what they do in terms of their culture. They don't care what everyone's eating. They yeah. want you to eat, particularly if you're in Italy. It's like, manja, manja, eat, yeah. eat. But they're not saying, well, this is gluten-free and that's high in fructose and that's <laughs> low in protein and that's high carbs and don't touch this. They just go eat, eat, eat because they want, they want to connect. And I just think yeah. we've lost our way a bit. Um, I agree. So now on the other end, I'm very much like I couldn't give a stuff what anyone's eating. Love everyone as they are. Don't care you know, what they do. I just love them for who they are because we all do things that we don't necessarily um, agree with at certain times and we all change at certain times and I have no emotional attachment to people's behavior 
Um, there's a great Tony Robbins line, we are not our behavior. And unfortunately, most people are judging everyone on their behavior. And or I get it. And themselves. Yeah, and themselves. Mm. Well, we're mm. our own harshest critic. But I think it's just really important that we just, we love everyone else and ourselves for just being born. It's a friggin' mm. mighty effort to be born. <laughs> yeah, agree. When you put the, the stats down, uh, if you Google it like the probabilities of being born, the, the amount of zeros on the end of it is astronomical. Mm. So uh, <laughs> I think that's really the, the foundation and baseline of it all. Beautiful. Now, um, you've mentioned the Blue Zones a few times, and I know you've had experience in uh, one, I know, at least in Ikaria. Um, have you been to other Blue Zones? And also... Uh, we've got, Damo and I, we have off-air conversations about doing others, but um, the thing is we have such a good setup in yeah. Ikaria. Oh, it sounds... Incredible. I don't want to sound highly conservative, but it's the, like, Ikaria is this life-changing mm. experience, and... I'm a little bit, I know I say it, Carl, like Damo and I, we, we've already determined that we must go on a recce together, like a boys' trip, yep. not tell anyone except our families, <laughs> just go and, and scope it out, like the different places, before we say we're running it in, in you know, X, Y, Z, because yep. what we've created in your career, I feel like we have to deliver that, that and more, but, but yep. at least that somewhere else because for me it's not so much the location i mean yes it's wonderful Ikaria, it's a great the culture. Yeah. but it's living with the locals the, oh, the, the trip Ikaria, yeah it's not a tour it's you're living with the locals and so we could recreate it in other parts of australia but no one would come because it mm. wouldn't feel special enough it's the fact that it is there that people come mm. i think but the whole purpose is that you learn things about yourself on that trip that you then come back and apply mm. when you come back, and you and I were just talking before we recorded about the, the whole concept of time. You know, we could learn about time in Australia, yeah. and we talk about how time poor we all are, but in Ikaria, you know, their mantra is just do it tomorrow. That's correct. You know, they're not, they're, they're not worried about time. But yeah. Yes, they'll go to the farm and help a goat, you know, give birth to another goat if they know it's due, and they don't care if it's 9 p.m. or 9 a.m. <laughs> or midnight. They'll do what needs to be done. But they don't fret going, I didn't get everything done on my yeah. to-do list um, now, we could teach that at any event. You know, you and I probably attempt to teach that to clients at certain times. Yeah. But the thing about these blue zones is that we don't teach them. They just watch people living that way. Yeah, it's immersion. And then they it's have immersion. the aha moments. It's the immersion. Mm. And they might have the aha moment whilst they're sitting at lunch and, and, and they've been sitting at lunch for 90 minutes. Yeah. And maybe they're on their second glass of wine. And it's like, oh, they're having a glass of wine yeah. in the middle of the day. Then they go, oh my gosh, I only give myself 10 minutes for lunch when I'm at mm. home. And I rush and off usually trying to do a million things at the same time. I'm for a meeting and I'm, and I'm checking Facebook and answering emails and I'm on the phone and I'm changing a nappy and it's like, oh my gosh. Yeah. And then they go, okay, I, I actually need to rewrite the script of my lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And we don't tell them to do that. That's just an experience yeah. they have when they're there. Yeah. And so that's what these blue zones do. They, yeah. they, don't, they don't have a journal or a, or a notebook that they pass down through the years to their generations, they pass down their lifestyle, their example. They pass down like a congruent example of their life. Beautiful. Rather than uh, what, what do our parents do or, the, or our grandparents, like don't do as I do as I say, not as I do, which they all laugh and go, oh, you know, if they were doing it as I do, our kids would be no good. But it's like doing <laughs> is the most important thing. What we observe, we all observe behavior, that 100%. Mm. So these cultures seem to understand that, and I think um, you know, sixteen people at a time. We're helping people yeah. to determine that that's the way to live life as well is through the power Beautiful. of example. 
Yeah. Um, let's just take it back a step and let's just, I don't think we've actually explained uh, what the blue zones are and why they're so yeah. significant. So would you like to um, uh, explain that to the listeners? Yeah, sure. We do have a tendency, and I say this to speakers all the time, like <laughs> just remember most people have no idea who, who we are when we're <laughs> on stage. So start at the beginning, but it's, we, we all love what we do so much. It's, we get a bit excited. So yeah. the Blue Zones were developed by National Geographic and, and more specifically Dan Butner and his team uh, I can't remember exactly why they call them blue zones, but essentially they had a little blue sticker and they were marking them down on the map of the world when they were finding cultures that had a greater life expectancy than other uh, cultures around the world. And what National Geographic did was put a lot of funding, essentially a lot of money and research into really determining whether these cultures did have a higher life expectancy. And and as the more rigorous that testing came to be, the fewer cultures there were that truly, like truly, had a higher uh, per capita rate of either um, centenarianism or life expectancy mm. than others. And so, um, it, it's been boiled down to Ikaria, which is a Greek island where where Damien and myself run our ten day experience. Sardinia in Italy, Okinawa in Japan, uh, Nicoya in Costa Rica, and Loma Linda, which is a Seventh Day Adventist town mm. in California. Mm. Um, and so the Blue Zones book, which is a wonderful book for the readers on this podcast, is a really great introduction to what the Blue Zones are all about. Um, and and that just essentially, and, and now you'll find, you know, 60 Minutes have been there and CNN and ABC and everyone now. It, it's great education. I do love it when the big TV networks head along to these Blue Zones to, you know, the thing is that I, that I laugh at a bit is they're all going there to look for their secret. Yeah. You know, and it's yeah. not one thing, it's a lifestyle, yeah. but um, that's generally how the Blue Zones magic has come pill. to be. Um, yeah. yeah, they're still looking for the magic pill, but I think when Oprah featured the Blue Zones, um, that's when it became far more part of the everyday mm. vernacular. Well, it reaches more people, which is great. 100%. That's why we love Oprah. Ah, it's beautiful. And um, so, you know, we hear about the, you know, how, how great these Blue Zones are and what factors um, are at play here. Um but were there any differences, you know, between uh, researching these blue zones um, or Ikaria in particular and then actually experiencing it? Were there any things that you found were quite different that shocked you? Oh, you've got some great questions in here, Carl. <laughs> um, well, oh, okay. So so as we record this, it's a month today until until we all land on the island and it'll be uh, for, for the start of this year's trip and it'll be two years since our previous trip. Um mm. So the things that you're asking me to really go back to all of my aha moments from that time, <laughs> the things that really shocked me but now I, I see them almost as just normal. But the things that really I was like, wow, was they don't have any public transport on Ikeria. And a part of that is because one of their mantras, it might not be word for word, but one thing that I really gleaned from them was why drive when you can walk? <laughs> they walk everywhere. Whereas fantastic. we're like, why walk when you can drive? Yeah. Now, um, they just have a culture of walking. But Damo and I tell the story all the time that on the very first morning, uh, you know, we woke up um, and Damo and I, let's go for a run and see the island. And we go for a run and we come back to breakfast. And Thaya, our host, is like, where have you guys gone? And we're like, oh, we just went for a run. And she's like, why did you go for a run? We're like, just because we wanted to see the island. She's like, well, why, why, did you, why did you want to do it? And we were like, well, because we just thought it was a good idea to go for a run. They're like, wow, that's, that was like a foreign concept. Yeah. They, would, they would go for a walk to go and see a neighbor or to 
go to a festival yes, or right. but they wouldn't necessarily go to a walk just for walking sake because they just walk so much in their lifestyle. Yeah. It's not a thing where they they need to structure or schedule in exercise or movement. Yeah. And that was probably the other thing. I now replace exercise with movement. We yes. have such a culture of, oh, I've got to exercise six in the morning. Now, I know personally from six till seven, I move my body, but I don't see it as this, I've got to exercise. Oh, it's so more good. that I just include movement and prioritize it in my day. But, you know, our culture, Western culture, is all about exercise time. Mm-hmm. So there are a couple of big ones. I've already spoken about work that's, and I'm, their to-do that's list. That's fantastic, yeah, go man. On. I, can, I just, can I just make a comment on that? Like that is just music to my ears. You know, I always talk about how, um, you know, movement shouldn't be seen as something separate to the rest of your life. It should be a part of your life, you know. Yes. And uh, from what I've read about the Blue Zones is in all of them, um, they're very active um, and they value movement, but it's not seen as um, a chore or something separate. It's just a yep. part of life, which is just beautiful to hear. Yeah. My mantra, particularly coming back from a career, is the exceptionals know that well, for, for exceptionals, movement is a lifestyle choice. For the mediocres, movement is a lifestyle chore. Hmm. And we have to decide. And when I'm doing a talk and saying, all right, just choose. Don't try and find an in-between. Is, is exercise, let's say exercise, is exercise for your movement, uh, is, it a, is it a choice or a chore? Uh, that's generally where you can you know, define where, where you're up to. It's, and, then, and then the bridge is going from making it a, a chore to a choice. Um, but, you know, they go to festivals, you know, once a fortnight or once a month and everyone's dancing. You know, that's why we're taking the kids this year because I want the kids to see this culture like the five-year-olds are dancing with the 95-year-olds and there's no like, oh, I'm too old to dance. They're <laughs> like all dancing, Yeah. you know, and I just think that's just, I don't know about you, but that's what I want to be oh, doing yeah. when I'm in my 90s. Yeah. No, totally. I don't want to be sitting there going, oh, I'm too old I want old to be doing that <laughs> Yeah, I know, 100%. It's great fun. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So that's the movement side. How about the food? I mean, and, and this is food not is just all, this is not just the food, um, but everything around food. You know, yeah, well, food is a stuff. ceremony. That's that's mm. the big thing that you know I brought home straight away and implemented in 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 Pierce, Pierce headquarters <laughs> is the ceremony of food, um, serving food family style, which a lot of our probably more European listeners, uh, if you've got a, a European background, it's not serving the food on everyone's plate. It's serving in platters, and everyone, including the kids getting what they want and some people go oh but my kids will just get you know all the white potatoes well you know what like maybe we've got to give our kids the opportunity to define maybe they they want more protein today mm. and less carbs maybe they want more potatoes today but you know uh, more salads tomorrow like can we give out can we trust our kids to make that choice and maybe there is a recalibration process but mm. i definitely have enjoyed that just really enjoying um just seeing the kids choose their own food. Now, we don't do it every night. Sometimes the meal, it's just far easier to serve them on individual yep. plates. But yep. a lot of the time, Sarah will do like a big chicken Caesar salad and she'll beautifully present it on a big platter and then the kids will just pick what they want and I just look at it and go, this is so cool. Like, I oh, love seeing wow. the kids see it. That costs nothing. You know what I mean? Like that yeah. is just – that's just free. And then the other thing is um, – just little things like I'll have I'll have half a glass of wine at dinner with Sarah, and mm. for some reason we never really did it. I don't know if it was like I don't know, but like I learned in your career that it's actually really cool for your kids, particularly you see that um, particularly around alcohol, particularly in Western cultures, it's this whole thing in Australia, or and I, I don't I won't talk for New Zealand, but in Australia. You drink on an empty stomach. You drink uh, on an empty stomach to get drunk more quickly. Yep. You definitely don't eat. 
Yeah, eating is cheating, as the uh, eating is cheating. Uh, you drink, you know, might be even cheap alcohol because it gets you drunk more quickly. I don't know, but we have such a terrible culture around alcohol. Whereas in Korea, you only drink on whilst you eat whilst you're eating. So you're doing two at the same time. You put water in your wine because if you particularly if you're celebrating, you want to actually eat and drink for longer. And so you put water in your wine, which dilutes. You always drink and eat with others. So it's always social. You never drink by yourself. And is that other families, not just your family? Is that the the community too? Oh, that's yeah, but that's not a that's not that's not a I mean that that would happen naturally just because of the way they're set up, but that's not that's not the big deal. You see yep. that at festivals, but it's just that you're not drinking by yourself, which a lot of people will drink. You know, a glass yeah. becomes a bottle of wine sitting yep. in front of the TV. I'm like, no, that's not what it was designed for. Mm. Alcohol is not bad, but when we use it in that way, it can be really bad yep. on our health and our mind and everything else. So in Korea, it's definitely frowned upon to get drunk, but it's very encouraged to get tipsy <laughs> because life's more fun when you're tipsy, but you don't you don't get drunk. And yeah. that's why you drink when, and eat, and it's why you put water in your drinking, and it's and it, well, water in your grog, and it's why you move and dance when you're drinking, and you're not just sitting there. And it's why you socialize because that means you're drinking more slowly because you're talking. I mean, it all kind of makes sense. The dots join so beautifully, but mm. we've just kind of skipped those steps in mm. our young country. And I'm really, you know, determined for people to bring that back into their lifestyle. That's amazing. So, um. You know, I guess comparing notes with the the um, the blue zones, and then uh, some of your life experiences and your research, um, you've created uh, the blueprint to living an exceptional life. So, would you be able to run us through what the the big hitting points are there, or the steps involved in that um, exceptional life blueprint? Yeah, sure, absolutely. And and because I am a motor mouth, and and I know we will <laughs> run out of time, I do have a. Um, a one-hour like video short course called Mediocre and Magnificent, which has uh, worksheets and so on and so forth. So for, if, if we do zoom through this section and people are curious to learn more, you can just go to, uh, I think it's marcuspierce.com.au forward slash magnificent and, and people can get it for free. But essentially, uh, what I discovered after doing a number of podcasts, I've been researching and, and ideas bubbling away for for many years, particularly in personal growth going like, why do some people go to events and then they butcher everything they learn? Like they spend five, ten grand. Sarah and I have probably spent a quarter of a million bucks on personal growth. And so for me, it's like when you spend all that money, you want to go and make the most of your life, applying what you learn. But then for every one of me, there seems to be nine or ten others that just, they don't apply what they learn. They've spent yeah. the money, they've spent the time, but they haven't, you know, and there's so many reasons behind it. And so for me, I was like, well, what separates the exceptionals from the mediocres? Mm. And so I used to think it was being vegan and not drinking grog. Um, then I realized there was a lot in the mindset side of things. And then the more people I interviewed, the more I realized that there really was a pattern. And so that pat- the pattern emerged was that there are three key ingredients for quantity of life and then four major ingredients for quality of life with one major premise i put a circle around this triangle that infiltrates each area and so the the number one ingredient to a great long life is life purpose and the mantra being are you doing what you love and loving what you do um Mm. and as i've said we've interviewed war survivors holocaust survivors um what the oldest man in australia dexter kruger you know people that have lost He's 108 now, I think, wow. um, and he, he writes poems. He's blind as a bat. I think <laughs> he's not deaf, but he's definitely blind, 
and he gets someone to uh, transcribe his words. Um, but, you know, what makes Dexter Kruger be 108? Um, like, he does what he loves, loves what he does. Um, and there are so many examples I could give, whether it was John F. Kennedy's mum, Rose Kennedy, who had nine children and her uh, life purpose in, a, in one sentence was, uh, my life is dedicated to raising a family of world leaders. Well, bang, she did that. Hmm. Um, there are people all around the world, whether they're famous or they're just our neighbours, that have defined what it is they love to do and they've gone out and done what they love. So that's ingredient number one to a great long life. Um, ingredient number two of the exceptional life blueprint is movement people that live great long lives all move but they do it in different ways some are ballerinas some love to walk some go for a swim every day the oldest female survivor of the holocaust alice hurt sommer swam every day up until the age of 97 is this in the in a pool or outdoors uh I, the answer i do not know i'm thinking <laughs> Sorry, like a community, a community pool yeah, she was in London. Good on her. Uh, and she lived in an apartment in London. Wow. So I have no doubt it was a community yeah, pool. I'd it say wouldn't so. have been a, a salt water, <laughs> magnesium, reverse osmosis, uh, hot spring water. It was probably high chlorinated <laughs> local bacteria. But she did it, and she loved pool. it. And she did it, and she wouldn't have cared what the ingredients were of that yeah. water. Yeah. She just went for it, and that's what I think is really important for people to know. It's good it point. was if it was good enough for the oldest female survivor of the Holocaust good enough for us. And she was also dedicated to doing what she loved. She played music. She played the piano for three hours per day, pretty much up until the day she died, age oh, 110. That's beautiful. That's and amazing. there's a great movie, a great doco on her called The Lady in Number Six, which won an Academy Award and Oscar. So if anyone's on Netflix or loves their movies, uh, The Lady in Number Six. The Lady in Number Six. I'll great movie down. on Alice Hurt Summer. Um, so movement is key. Ingredient number three for a great long life is social life. So the loneliest people in the world, they're the ones that are dying quickly. They're getting dementia early. They're uh, losing their networks they are, and they are losing their mind. If you look at the three key ingredients to improving brain health as we get older, it's do things that challenge you. So when you're doing what you love, you often get a lot of challenges, which is a good thing. If you're moving your body, you're giving your brain a lot of the nutrition it needs to actually fire um, and stay active. And then when you're socializing, the, the, the neurology or the, the way that the brain continues to grow when you're engaging with human beings, keeping your communication skills up and the rest of it is um, they're the three key, three key nutrients for keeping a brain healthy for a great long time. And there's a great interview we did, well, I think it's episode 42 um, with Professor Michael Woodward who sits on the Alzheimer's Australia board. He's one of the foremost experts on this topic and um, he talks about yeah, purpose and movement and socializing as three key ingredients for preventing dementia, which no one wants to talk about, but in many mm. ways it can be prevented, but we need to prevent it in our 20s and 30s and 40s. We don't, we don't want to try and rush the prevention process in our 70s and 80s. Yep. Um, so that's really key. So they're the three ingredients in the Exceptional Life Blueprint for quantity of life. Because what we noticed was there were so many people we were interviewing that had very different diets or uh, very poor diets but were living great long lives. Oh, wow. But then we began to realize, and the more research I did in, in others that either had gone before us that were no longer alive or whatever, what I began to see is that there are lots of people that had terrible diets that were living these great long lives. And so the more I thought about it, I was like, okay, so there's quantity of life ingredients in the blueprint of a great long life, but then there's quality of life ingredients. And there's no doubt mm. that the people that ate the best food had the best quality of life. They woke up, they had more energy, more zest for life, more their attention spans were better. 
They didn't have brain fog. They were able mm. to really concentrate. It meant they were um, they were doing more physically active things like climbing Everest age 68 or <laughs> walking, um, you know, hundreds of kilometers or um, uh, Sister Madonna Buddha, the oldest human being or the oldest female ever to do an Ironman triathlon at age 84, I think. Um, honestly, started running age 48. You know, so the people that were moving but also um, – feeding themselves well, they were capable of not just going for a walk around the block. They were like doing marvelous things. And, and thankfully, you know, this, this aging well message is, is gaining legs because Nike did a one-minute ad with Sister Madonna Buddha. So if anyone's interested, if you YouTube Sister Madonna Buddha Nike, you'll see the ad come up. Mm. And it's wonderful because it's raising the awareness. So nutrition is key for quality of life, and anyone can do that. Uh, we, if we've got teenagers listening or people in their 50s, 80s, and beyond, you know that when you eat well, you feel better. Your quality of your day or of your moment is so much better. If you're eating poor food, if you have a can of Coke right now, you're going to feel average in an hour. The quality of your of your day will be more average when you guzzle down a can of Coke. Yep. So quality of life, number one ingredient is uh, nutrition. And then it's love and relationships. Now, a lot of people think that should be like the number one, like uh, family, what is it like, um, you know, family comes first. Well, it does, particularly in emergencies, but if you look at some of the people that live the, uh, the longest lives, let's use the oldest human being on record ever to live, Jean Calmont, lived 122 years, 164 days, smoked for 95 years, drank port wine her entire adult life, ate a kilo of chocolate every week, and her husband died 60 years before she did, and she had to bury her only child. Oh, my. Pretty heartbreaking. Yeah. And she lived the 60-plus years. So if we just use that one example, Whew. family life doesn't equate to quali- to quantity yeah. of life. But it can improve quality of life. If you've got great family relationships, which I highly recommend people do, then it improves your birthdays. It improves your Christmas days. It improves when you get home from work. It improves when you leave home for work in the morning. It improves relationships with your children, and that has wonderful flow-on effects. Yep. But I can't, I can't cop that it's a, it's a massive factor in quantity of life. It is a factor, but it's not as big a factor as everyone would want to bang on about. Mm. Um, so, but socializing, like with your community, because if your whole family gets hit by a car, yeah. you've still got a community that you live in, and that's really, really important. And the Ikarians do that really well. That whole Greek Orthodox grieving process, which is more communal than just family-based, I, I really, I really, um, really love. So that's family. Next one is growth. Uh, a lot of people go to school, then they stop learning. The exceptionals, they they know that that um, that learning and not doing is not is not learning. Uh, you've got to do what you learn, but you got to love what you learn. So do you love to play the piano? Do you want to learn another language? Do you want to learn how to use an iPhone? Do you want to switch over to an Android? Do you want to go and you know study Facebook marketing? Do you want to read books? Do you want to run a marathon and learn how to you know, run barefoot, whatever it is. Like learning that insatiable curiosity is a very yeah. common element for the exceptionals. They are thirsty. You know, like I know people that combine it with their romance. They take their wife out to a movie once a month. They watch Netflix and watch Oscar-nominated movies once a week. They want to travel and learn about other cultures and 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 trace down their family heritage. Like that's an insatiable mm. curiosity. And you can see there's a there's an overflow here into other areas of your life. Yep. And I think that's a wonderful thing. If you can exercise with friends, 
then you're combining movement and socializing, yeah. right? Yeah. And a lot of people go, oh, this is, this is too much. You're asking too much of us. I'm like, no, no, no. You can knock a lot of this off before lunchtime, mm-hmm. even before you go to work. You can wake up knowing what your life is dedicated to, going for a run or a walk or doing yoga or going to see Carl um, at the gym. You can do it with friends or a buddy. You yeah. can have a really healthy breakfast. You can tell your wife and kids or parents or partner that you love them and particularly tell yourself that you love them. Have five or ten minutes of quality time with your family in the morning. You may listen to a podcast or read a book on the way to work. And then the the, the final element, which a lot of people think is the top of the mountain, but it's actually the least important, but it's really important for quality of life, is spending less than you earn and dot, 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 investing the difference, which is what the exceptionals do. Now, you can do all of that literally in one or two hours a day. Yeah. but that's what a lot of people, I call it the exceptional eight, just having a list for your day to know that you're actually honoring all the eight areas of your life. Um, and sorry, the eighth area, and we put a big circle around this triangle, is your spirit, your soul, or your faith. You want to put your spirit, your soul, or your faith, or whatever you want to call it, into your life purpose or your work or your career or your family, whatever phase of life you're in, into your movement, into your social life. You want to be present in your relationships. You don't want to be away with the fairies. Listening is a soulful experience. You want to put your soul or spirit into your food. You want to love it. Same with your relationships and your family, your growth and your wealth. You want to do it with soul. You're a unique human being. No one else can do it for you. And that great man is the nutshell of the exceptional life blueprint. Beautiful. I love the way you've separated it out as well into living a long life versus living a an exceptional life as well. I think that's quite quite a cool way of doing it. Well, because wouldn't you and I, and you tell me if you disagree, I'd much rather get hit by a bus today and it be done with yeah. than then live have for 50 years quality of so, life yeah. and be a vegetable for 50 years. Exactly. And my poor kids and my wife having to carry that burden. 100%. Like, no, no fun. So 100%. quality is, is way more important than quantity, yeah. but most of us are going to have quantity. So knowing that's the case, we better make sure we honor that by including the ingredients mm. of quality. And sadly, most people, I mean, we all have these parts of life in common, but the reason why I tend to call it a blueprint or, or a recipe is that we've put the ingredients into the recipe, we've put the ingredients in the wrong order. So a lot of people are chasing the money yep. or they're just constant learners, but they're not doing anything with it or they're all about family, but they're not giving to themselves and identifying what they want. They only give to their kids, but they've never worked out what they want to do yep. for their own life. Or they, or they prioritize their nutrition and their diet. They're eating chicken salads, but they hate their life. They never move their body. They don't catch up with their paleo, no, with their vegan friends because <laughs> they're on the paleo diet. And it's like, dude, like we've mucked it all up. We've put the ingredients in the wrong order. And I just mm-hmm. think, you know, that's it's really important to recalibrate and reprioritize the order. Beautiful. Um, yeah, I look back at all of those points and I go, I've got a, a couple of uh, my my friends and clients that I've talked to you about before. Actually, I've got Eileen and Leonard who are both into their well nice. into their nineties. Yes, yes. Um, did we interview Eileen or Leonard? I don't think we did. No, but I think you should. <laughs> Absolutely, and we must. Got, and I've got David as well, uh, who's eighty, going on eighty-seven. He's actually appearing on the podcast soon as well. Oh, um, we got, can you can you please help organise that? Definitely, definitely. That, that must happen. Yeah, and and they they just encompass everything you talked about. You know, they're so, you know, they 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 view they coming to the gym as part of the community. Yeah, that's it. They don't have a rule book though. Like no, they're not going. No. So we you, we were given this book, you know, fifty years ago, and like, yeah. they just do it innately. It just comes naturally. Do you know what? Leonard came to see me first. He's he's um ninety six now. Sorry, um, he came to see me because he wanted to improve his golfing handicap. <laughs> 
And, uh, you know, I got to know this guy well, and he's just, he's amazing. Great sense of humor, sharp as a tack, very curious, always researching. If I say something, I've got to be accountable to it. So he'll be trawling through the research. Um, but you know what he said to me? I said, what's the secret? You know, that just joking around, he said, Carl, you just got to learn to go with the flow. I thought, wow, wasn't that powerful? Isn't that powerful? So good. Yeah. And, uh, the simplicity of it all, that's the thing. The simplicity. Yeah. is off the charts. But yeah. we, in, and there's a great one line, it might be Tony Robbins or someone else, complexity is the enemy of progress and <laughs> we do everything we can to make things complex. Uh, but it stops our progress. So the, the challenge is to simplify and trust that, that progress is in simplicity. Mm. So let's simplify as much as we can. I was going to ask you, what are the enemies to living an exceptional life? So I can, I can think of one off the top of my head. One off the top of my head is... Uh, everyone around you. Oh, everyone yeah. around you that wants you to be mediocre because as soon as you decide that you're going to be exceptional, people will attempt and they'll say it out of love that don't go for that job that you really want. Don't hmm. start that business because... What happens if it doesn't go to plan? Don't travel uh, because, you know, what if you get blown up? Uh, <laughs> don't do anything that you think is amazing because what happens if it doesn't work? So peer group, yeah. I think, is one of the… I tall think poppy syndrome, we call it, yeah. Yep, tall poppy syndrome. We, there are two, two challenges in personal growth, which I think are the most difficult but the most powerful. One is improving your peer group. Who do you need to, you know, look at the five people you spend the most time with, give them a tick or a cross. But then the people that cro- get across because they don't empower you, well, the transition period to, to knocking them off the list and bringing someone in, that can be quite difficult. That's brilliant. Um, I like that. And then the second most difficult one, well, the, uh, there's no water. This one can also be <laughs> the most difficult, is forgiveness. Who mm. are the people that you need to forgive? Is it yourself? Is it your parents? Is it the boss who's angry and does not treat you with respect? Is it your community? Is it, the, is it a business that did you wrong? Is it someone mm. that crashed into the back of you? Because forgiveness or the lack of forgiveness affects, you know, as Alice Hurt Sommer, the oldest female survivor of the Holocaust, said, hate, hate affects the hater more than the hated. Yeah. So she forgave Hitler. You know, the thing is, but Alice, how could you forgive Hitler? In her words, well, we are all sometimes good, sometimes bad. I see the bad, but I look at the good. I focus on the good. And that's a lot easier said than done for wow. most people. But if it's good enough for a Holocaust survivor who lost her uh, parents, um, you know, in the Holocaust and lost a lot of her family. And it's good for the oldest male survivor of the Holocaust, whose name was uh, Israel Crystal, who lived to 100. He became the world's oldest man. The world's oldest man was a Holocaust survivor, uh, age 114, I think, or maybe just shy of his 114th birthday. Uh, Holocaust survivor, lost, lost his wife and kids and then moved to Israel and got remarried and had more kids. <laughs> and 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 forgave the process. Oh wow! So if it's good enough for them, yeah, it's good for us. And and really, we could all say that when you carry resentment, it's affecting you more than it's affecting them. Yeah. Um. And so I think they're my answers. You know, mm. like no, simple, that. simple, but not easy. And that's what that's why this game's not for everyone because it's far easier to stay in mediocre and have mediocre standards than it is to do the work and rise. From mediocre to magnificent. That's a hard game. You know, yeah. that's a really hard game. Oh, that's great. That's uh, um, that's that's such a poignant point. Um, I think. Do you think society's got a little bit to answer for in terms of um, glorifying um, busy or hustle? Well, who's society? Oh, yeah, that's, I mean, that's I would us say as individuals, media, isn't it? Yeah, yep, yep. Media. We're not putting enough time into being self-aware. We're putting more time into what everyone else is telling us to do and how to live our life. We're on social media or on Netflix. We're watch, We're reading tabloid magazines. We're watching the six o'clock news. 
So, so our template for life is being fed to us by others. We think the world's bad because one person died on the roads coming home when six million people got home safely, yep. and, 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 and two people died, and, and all of a sudden, you know, one plane out of the, the millions that fly every year or the half a, half a million or whatever it is, one falls out of the sky and we're all scared to fly. It's like, well, hold on a minute. Perspective. Um, a bit of perspective mm. wouldn't go astray. Yeah. So we only have ourselves to blame. Yeah. Uh, it's it's what we're what script are we writing? Alfred Hitchcock said you only need three things for a great movie: a great script, a great script, and a great script. <laughs> and it's exactly the same for an exceptional life. You need a great script, a great script, and a great script. But who's writing the script? Are you writing it, going, "This is what I want for my life," or is the 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 you know your local newspaper, your national newspaper, your TV, your Netflix, your social media, telling you how to live your life? Your parents, your friends, you know. So. Taking the time to write down what's in your script and you look through these eight areas of your exceptional life and you write down the script, what do you want, not what do other people want for you, what do you want, that's where I think the secret to living an exceptional life is. Beautiful. Now, this is, this has been so much fun, Marcus, and I know we could keep chatting. Um, I guess we could forever, all yep. day. Yep. <laughs> um, I've, I've never had anyone out talk me before, so well done on that. Um, <laughs> but I've got one more question for you. So for, for all of the listeners um, that want to live an exceptional life, what can they do right now to start that process if they're not already underway? Um, I think one thing is peer group. So it would like, literally take you five minutes. Write down who do you spend the most time with mm. and do they empower you? Don't overcomplicate it. If we were doing a seminar, we could talk about who do you spend five the five people in your professional life and five people in your, in your personal life. But right now, just do your life. Yep. And it might be that all five are professional. It might be all five are personal. Just You know, you might be a stay-at-home parent. You might be working 100-hour weeks. I don't know. But just write them down. And, and those five, I don't care how Buddha-like you are, you become who you hang around. So dot, 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 who are you hanging around? Uh, write them down, the five people, and then give them a ticker across. You've got to be brutal. Mm. Tick if... They are inspiring and you love being around them and they bring the best out of you. Cross, no half scores. <laughs> they don't bring the best out of you. No orange no, lights. Oh, sometimes they're okay and sometimes they're not. Like everyone's got their bad side for want of a better term. There's going to yeah. be times where someone cracks it or whatever, but I'm like challenge is good, but are they challenging you to be the best version of yourself? Uh, are you hoping that you know someone leaves work and then you'll get, be in a better environment? Or is it time for you to make a really courageous decision? Um, so that would be that would be step number one: define who you're hanging around. Um, and then I would just say, if, if you if you're up for doing a bit more work and really getting an audit on the eight areas of your life, go and do the mediocre to magnificent short course that I put up there. It's been done by I think people in over eighty countries, over five thousand people at last check. Um, people from countries I've never heard of, the little African <laughs> countries. Um, little um, you know Asian countries um, that I just think is, is phenomenal the power of the internet so go and do mediocre to magnificent define where you're up to and then you'll really d- define get an idea of where the first step is to focus on so if you already do what you love and love what you do but your movement's mediocre then block everything else out and focus on making uh, your movement uh, magnificent and then once mm-hmm. you nail that that generally goes on autopilot then check in on your social life, and then if that's nailed, then look at your nutrition, and if that's not, then make that a focus. One thing at a time. Don't try and multitask yep. it yep. Uh, because once you become exceptional in something, I'm sure you find this car, once you become 
exception on something that generally becomes autopilot and you don't have to write it down on your to-do list for the day to get it done. But if something's mediocre, it's generally not a habit and you do need to say, oh, yes, my relationship with my mum is pretty average. I need to call her more often. And so you do need to write down every Monday for 5 p.m. on the drive home from work, call mum and have a chat. But if it's already exceptional, you're probably already doing it and you don't really need to write it down. Mm. Wow, so much wisdom. What an exceptional <laughs> interview that was. And thank, uh, you. thank you, Mr. Pierce, for, uh, for joining us today. And My pleasure. for the listeners, uh, thanks for tuning in and I will post all of the links to Marcus's work and we'll listen, we'll hear from you again next week. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.